a really quick and exciting announcement to make. The Menopause and Cancer podcast is now also on YouTube, and I'm so excited that more people now get to watch our conversations. So the link to the YouTube channel is in our show notes. Please go and subscribe to the channel so that more people who need to hear our conversations are able to find them. Thank you. Welcome to the Menopause and Cancer podcast, where we speak with cancer patients, survivors and incredible menopause experts to help us find solutions to our symptoms and ideas to improve our health. My name is Danny Binnington and today I'm delighted to be joined by the fabulous Helen Addis. She's also known as the Titty Gritty. We're going to be talking about brain fog, which is one of her most stubborn symptoms. Brain lube, it doesn't exist, but you've got to hear us out. We're going to be talking about how she wished hormone replacement therapy was an option for her and her thought process around this. And so I think there's lots in this episode that will resonate with many of you. Helen has enjoyed over 20 years in the TV industry and she is a feature editor at the Lorraine Show. She's also created the National Change and Check campaign, which is a breast cancer awareness campaign. They've saved loads of people's lives already. And at the moment, she's put together this amazing choir. They've released a single called Golden. And I just wanted to re-record this introduction because Golden just made it into the number one of all of the UK charts, which is incredible. Helen has done so, so, so well since her breast cancer diagnosis. She's a powerhouse of a woman. I hope you will feel this conversation uplifting, enjoyable. It will be thought-provoking in places. And I've got a really lovely poem for you at the end because there's so much in this conversation that really reminded me of the calmness of this poem. So enjoy all of it. And I'm really glad you're here. Helen, I'm delighted to sit here with you today. How are you? I'm really well. Thank you for inviting me on. It's a treat. Well, we've spoken before and I love following your story. Helen, was there a point since your diagnosis and since being plummeted into menopause that you thought going on HRT would be the only thing that would fix all of your problems? Absolutely. You know, when I felt my life falling away around me, you know, post my um, breast cancer diagnosis and being pushed into the into the menopause from everything that I've ever read and every article documentary that's been made. It's always been HRT. It's like the holy grail. And I thought, well, that's just what I will do. And it makes sense, you know, because your body is wanting estrogen so yeah heck slap that stuff on me um so yeah I did and and I think that the mental thing of me having to get my head around well actually you can't have that was quite soul destroying yeah and I think the menopause conversation that has beautifully boomed over the last few years and that was very necessary has made that a little bit harder for us hasn't it i think absolutely because it it feels like the conversation starts with hrt and it finishes with hrt and how many are there of us that are living in this world where that is not an option and we want options yeah. you know, we, we want to be able to take control of how we're feeling on a day-to-day basis, you know, it is life-changing. It is totally life-changing. Um, and 
I think the mental, it's not just the mental, it's the physical. And more and more people are being diagnosed younger. You know, this isn't, it's not like we're supposed to be going through menopause now anyway. Actually, no, we're not. This is, I feel feel like I'm being robbed of of me and it and it it yeah it we often s- we often say it's the insult to your injury if the injury was your cancer diagnosis and then the insult are these long lasting late effects menopause mm-hmm. is one of them lymphedema could be another other conditions could be others but because menopause act right we i want to talk to you about brain fog yeah. And it's really why I then thought I need to set up the Menopause and Cancer podcast because there is so much in between we can talk about and we can do, and it's for people to hear those options. Before I talk to you a little bit about your story, where it started, and the amazing things that you have gone on to do, and I want to hear it all, and about your work, and it's so exciting, what's your worst symptom, do you think, of the menopause? Oh... I would say the worst symptom of the menopause for me is my brain function. That's the, that's the biggest decline that I have seen. I, I used to be able to feel really in control of myself and of my thoughts and, and of my diary. And now... I, I'm genuinely like the laughing stock at the school gates because I am that mum that puts them in mufty day on the wrong day or haven't signed a form or haven't paid hasn't paid a deposit for something. And then at home, I'm the butt of the joke in terms of, yeah, just putting stuff in the wrong place in the house or like not being able to finish a sentence. And that never used to be me. And it's embarrassing. I get I get embarrassed, even knowing that I had to do this podcast with you. The amount of reminders that I have to put up everywhere, because if I'm not reminded constantly, there's absolutely no way that I would have made it to sit here in front of you, which sounds ridiculous. But it's when you're used to nailing stuff and being so across stuff. And I, I run quite a large team at work and you know, on a daily basis, they're saying to me, yeah, no, you've told us that, Helen. No, we did that last week, Helen. And is it? it's like, oh, God, I hate it. I hate it. And then it's a spiral effect because that then affects your self-esteem. It makes me sometimes not want to speak up in meetings because I think, God, have we had this conversation before? And I genuinely don't know if we have or not. It's so strange. But yeah, so I would say that's that's the worst, and the mood and that with that comes sort of mood swings. I would say that's the worst thing. Hey, a quick message from me. If you're new to this podcast and to our community, feel really welcomed. We're the only community that addresses menopause after cancer and all of the related and specific topics to it. We talk about everything from mental health to physical health, sexual health and bone health and everything in between. Nothing is off limits. So go and follow the show now to not miss a future episode and also scroll back through some of the old episodes. There might be something in there and it might be exactly what you're looking for at the moment. Feel welcomed and I'm so glad you're here.
And also the brain fog and that cognitive function has so many knock-on effects, right? It has, like you say, the effect on your um, how, how worthy you think you are, how well are you doing as a mom? You start to criticize yourself. Self-compassion is being dropped off mm -hmm. and self-criticism is really alert, isn't it? We constantly think we're not good enough. Mm -hmm. um, we're not trying hard enough. And it's also one of the hardest symptoms I feel from when women report back to me to tackle. It's easier to tackle hot flushes if they're yeah. a symptom of the menopause, then it is yeah. to tackle that cognitive function. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, um, in the, in the beginning, I had a lot of like vaginal dryness and all that, that sort of thing, but there's stuff you could do for that. You know, that, yeah. that, that there are really good medications and stuff out there. So you can do, but what can you do for, for the rest of, you know, for the, for the brain function? Oh my God. Yeah. There needs to be a big big old lube for your head. <laughs> Lubricant <laughs> your nose or something that I don't know, can oil your brain. Squirt in your ears. I know. I know. A brain lube. Can we just invent brain a brain lube? <laughs> Love that's it. And the thing is it's it's that lack of oxygen that's that's doing this. And I feel like I'm losing years off myself you know should be in my bloody prime you are in your <laughs> prime you're just remembering the really essential things and everything else is falling off the wayside and you know with the children I always felt like you feel now and I, I had the same feelings of just not doing enough and always forgetting and I kind of think my kids are really you know my eldest is 15, my twins are 13. They've become really self-sufficient. They tell me now, mum, you need to sign this form. Have you paid this? Every Monday morning, they Snapchat me now saying, put money on my dinner card yeah. every Monday morning. Because unless they Snapchat me, I won't do it. <laughs> uh, I totally get it. Yeah, no, you're right. And and they have learned to adapt around me. Yeah, I know. I've got, I've got to do that. I've got to stay looking at those those positive things that I do have around me it's not that anybody's being nasty to me it's more that I'm just harder on myself really um yeah I think it's more that yeah and it's very different the things you manage at home or the things you manage at work it's got such a big effect on us in the work and you're doing a, a great job at what you do we have you yeah. have to stay sharp right I get it yeah and I want to feel sharp. And the more, the sharper I feel, the more invigorated I feel. Like it's, yeah. it's lots of self-perpetuating. So if there's, you know, anything that I can do or read to try and improve, I, I try and exercise. I, th I do think that that helps. Eating yeah. well, I think helps. Yeah. Um, for anyone that doesn't know you, I've given you a little intro before we started to record, but in a really quick nutshell, talk us through a quickly your diagnosis and the treatment that put you into menopause sure. so that we can sort of really learn from your story. Yeah, so it was five years ago, um, I was diagnosed with a grade three uh, breast cancer. I don't have any family history of cancer at all, let alone breast cancer. Um, I was relatively fit and well, uh, mum of three children. They were five, seven and nine at the time. Um, and I, it was the week before my 40th birthday and my to-do list at the time was, you know, how much booze that I was ordering for my party and who's going to have the kids for, you know, when we had this party. And and then all of a sudden I was given this diagnosis and I had to obviously cancel my party because my to-do list was now 
having a mastectomy. And then I had 15 rounds of chemo, uh, 15 rounds of radio. And then because I was hormone receptive, so I was triple positive, if you like, um, I also had um, targeted hormone um, hormone therapy because I was HER2 positive as well as estrogen and progesterone uh, positive. So, yeah, it was that chemo um, and the subsequent tamoxifen that I've been put on that has uh, uh, sort of pushed me very quickly into the menopause. And I would say the first six months were just horrific. Like, I just felt... I felt like I looked older. I felt older. My my joints, my bones, my brain, everything. Dry eyes. My eyesight's changed. Um, just everything. I, I would say I hardly recognised myself. And you know what? It was a real kick in the teeth because at that point, you know, your hair's barely growing back. Your scars are still sore from your um, surgery. You're still sort of... I still had a mouthfuls of ulcers from the chemo and everything. And then when your brain function goes as well, it's just like, oh, my God, throw the girl a rope. Um, so that was that was hard. I would say that the symptoms have definitely settled. Um, but my situation now is I think that I've got estrogen coming back into my body because I've started having periods again. Um, so now I'm being checked to see and I'm and I'm actually feeling more well in myself which makes me think again I've got estrogen coming in and should that be alarm bell so I'm, I'm actually being tested for all that at the moment to see whether I need to have my ovaries taken or some other kind of um, injections or something to go alongside the tamoxifen to keep me menopausal. And so have you done five years on tamoxifen? Almost but they want me to do 10. Yeah. Um, I would say I've done four years on tamoxifen. And that was hard for you to manage because I've known you for a, a long time. We've spoken yeah. before and you've had your ups and downs with it. And mm. you were thinking, should I even go on a drug holiday? And I think you did that once, didn't you? I, I did. I did go on a drug holiday. And I have to say, it didn't really make much difference because... yeah. I could only do it for four weeks and the doctor said it's really not long enough for you to notice the effect um and he said and I don't want you to have a longer break than that and I have to remind myself you know we are very very fortunate that drugs like tamoxifen exist you know and I would be the first that if that drug didn't exist I'd be stamping my feet saying come on guys make us a drug because you know there must be something that can help prevent this thing coming back yeah. so I have to, you know it's, it's constantly weighing up these pros and cons and and yeah you're damned if you do you're damned if you don't <laughs> I, I totally think that is the case because I remember when I was diagnosed and because I had a triple negative cancer there is no such a thing as another drug that can keep your cancer at bay. And so I always felt really deprived of another treatment. And that's why I threw myself into crazy things, eating weird ways, exercising all the time, because I just thought there isn't anything else for me. It's chemo and surgery and, and radiotherapy. And then that was it. I didn't have a lifeline. But knowing now 
10 years on, how severe these drugs like tamoxifen and aromatase inhibitors affect many people's quality of life. It's like you say, you do me if you do, you do me if you don't. And, and we, we all navigate our own experiences, right? And yeah, it can be so tough some days where you think, am I making the right decision here? And other days you wake up and you think, yeah, it's amazing. I know I'm on the right track. And you're just yeah. angling your way forward day by day. I know. And it's tough. Yeah, it really is. And then and then sometimes you think, you know, what is the menopause? What is the tamoxifen? What, what, which thing am I, is it that's creating these side effects? Or is it just like an amalgamation of it all? Um, yeah, I just wish there was a magic wand. Yeah. So you're under investigations yes, at the moment. That, that's right. Um, yeah, and, and it might be that I think that they they will want to suppress my ovaries. Um, I was when they grade you. Um, as you know, they, they give you a percentage of how estrogen receptive and how progesterone receptive your cancer was. And mine was like eight out of eight. So I was, I'm, my cancer was very, very sensitive to the hormones. So I think that I'm, they're very keen for me not to have any in my body. Yeah. And I think this is just what sums up so many women's experiences. You embark on one thing, you think this is going to be it for the next five or 10 years, and then something changes. And we have to get our head round a yeah. new way of doing things again. And it's exhausting, isn't it? it because it, it's almost like having this part-time job, this little project on the side of all our really busy lives anyway, <laughs> that is taking lots of time, lots of thinking, and we have to reconsider what our options, what our risks versus benefits, does that mean surgery for me? How will I feel after a surgical onset menopause? More worries around that. And often women come into our programs and workshops and they have a question. And by the end of working with them, that question is no longer because something else yeah. <laughs> was thrown at them and they have to make another decision about something else. And you're like, oh my gosh, but it's just the way it is. Yeah. It really, it, it really is. And I think also what's Another positive out of this is that it's great that we're talking about it now. Yeah. You know, because I did a something on my socials the other night about chemo fog, chemo brain. And it's just sometimes it's just really nice to hear somebody else say exactly the same, that the exact same thing happens to me because you don't feel alone. Yeah. Um, and it feels like that we I don't want to be that sort of chippy person that's just always, mo you know, moaning about menopause stuff. But um, when you know that that just talking about it helps so many people, yeah, spurs you on, doesn't it? Keep keep banging the drum. Yeah. So tell me about because you mentioned social. Tell me about what is the titty gritty? Why did you come up with that handle and when and how? <laughs> So, do you know, it was when I was on treatment, actually, um, I was on chemo and I, and I, I don't know, I just had to find the joy in everything. And yeah. it just became this thing where everywhere I'd go, I would see things that reminded me of boobs. And um, yeah, and I, I don't really know where Titty Gritty came from. I think it just made me laugh one day. I just thought, oh, that'd be quite a fun handle to have. And then I very much just wanted to use my platform to remind people to check themselves really because you know like I was saying I don't have any family history of um, breast cancer so if I could get it 
any of my friends or family could get it. So it, I, it, I, it just became sort of a, a focus for me to remind people. And because I work um, uh, at ITV, it's a great platform to be able to shout from the rooftops about it. So that's why I then created a campaign called Change and Check, which is like a reminder sticker that I've had put up on shop changing room mirrors and toilet um, mirrors, just to remind people, you know, in the time it takes for you to try that top on, you could check yourself for signs of breast cancer. So they're up and down the country. And actually, since we launched it, I've had 67 women contact me through Instagram to say that they found their cancer as a result of seeing the campaign, which is wow, amazing. And that that's 67 that we know about, you know, it it's probably more than that. But um, yeah, it, and, and, and these 67 women with a lot of us have sort of come together and, and bonded as a family with sort of this little group now and we do crazy stuff together to try and um create more awareness and we've we've had a hot air boobloon made which we've gone up in and it said have you checked your boobs across it and we flew it out over bristol we've climbed the o2 as well because it looks like a massive boob um and this year we've formed <laughs> a, um this year we formed a choir um and we have had a song written for us and we've released it um well actually it's being officially released on Friday the 10th of November, um, Joss Stone is going to headline on it and all proceeds go to uh, breast cancer charity Future Dreams, which, um, and in particular, their um, secondary breast cancer arm. So, you know, it's really nice that through all the darkness of the diagnosis and what comes after, it's, it's nice that we're doing something tangible and positive and feel like we're giving back which is very much you know like what you're doing with your podcast yeah and you know from the outside I sit here opposite a woman who's got three children you are five years on from your initial diagnosis you have returned to your work you have held down your job throughout all of your treatment and beyond That's you are Matt <laughs> You are not. You're amazing at what you do. You have managed to pull off not a little campaign. You know, you've got the check and change stickers all over the country. You've done amazing things. You're on television with it. You are helping to save so many people's lives. And yet you are feeling that your brain fog is really stopping you in your tracks. But you're also doing amazing things despite it all and with it all. And it's so important to remember that for ourselves. Yeah, it yeah, it is. And I think it's as women, we inherently sort of brush off all the compliments and the good things that you do. And we've, we focus in on the things that aren't, you know, that aren't going so well. And, and yeah, we need to celebrate ourselves and the work that we do. You know, I am, I am really proud of um, the campaign that we've, that we've done. And, yeah, I. Too many people are still dying from this stupid disease. That so, and I. So I'm not going to stop until a cure is found. And I'm sure you'll be the same. So Helen, do you sing in the choir? Are you one of the choir singers? I am one of the choir. Now, what I will. I didn't know that. Yeah. What I will caveat this with is none of us are singers. None of us are singers. So it's been 
like I've done a, a little bit of live telly before and I have never been nervous going on talking about breast cancer. Singing in front of people. Oh my God. Like, but with all of us together, we just, it's like we just all lose our inhibitions and just go for it. And you know what was crazy is we got surprised um, and asked to sing on stage with Alfie Bow at the Palladium. Oh, my God. Oh. It was amazing. And we stood on that stage and we sang this song. There were 20 of us in the choir. And Alfie, Alfie Bow did this wonderful um introduction for us and explained you know the, these all women that have been through or are still going through breast cancer um and this is their charity single and we came out and we sang it and at the end the noise of people standing up and giving a you know like a an encore not an encore a standing ovation like I, I could, I, I was absolutely. I, there's no words for it. I Aww. just lost it on the stage, and I think it just made me realise. Wow, isn't it amazing when when people come together like this and we yeah. put something together like this? And and the the there there was lots of people, lots of tissues in the audience, and it just makes you realise so many people are affected by this. Um, that was a real moment. It was a how, real moment. How incredible. There is such power in community, isn't it? Oh and yeah. to bring people together and to yeah. just do something. And I often ask in our Facebook group or on the podcast, I say, what are your hobbies? I want to know what people do. And people do amazing things. We had women come back to me saying, I have started to make crochet vaginas and I love making crochet vaginas. And we had all these pictures of crochet vaginas in the Facebook group, which I just thought was amazing. Why vaginas? Was it because they were I don't, ovarian cancer just, or something? I, I think it's just, you know, with more awareness of the menopause, we often talk about even words, vulva, vagina. And, and I think it was maybe a bit of lockdown knitting and crocheting. And then we had this other lady saying she became a guide, a walking guide leader out of her breast cancer um, diagnosis. And she was so inspiring to so many that we've now got our first walking challenge for our not-for-profit going happening. And it's because Gemma was so inspirational to so many people that said, I want to walk too. And what can I do? And I want to be part of this community. And so beginning of December, about 50 of us are all going to walk a huge challenge oh, and everyone's going to. And it's so exciting when people share their passion with one another. And I wonder what I wonder how many people are listening to you at home at the moment thinking I've started singing and I love my choir yeah. <laughs> because I know people do. It's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. And especially because we're, like I said, we're not singers. I didn't know that we would find so much joy in it, but for some reason we do like, it, yeah. And, and it's nice to be doing something where it's very bonding for some reason, a bit like, you know, the walk that you're doing. I, I trekked um, the Himalayas in four years ago for Copperfield. And yeah. my goodness, that was, that was phenomenal. You know, all walking, knowing that you're every step you're taking, you're doing it for that cause. And yeah, yeah it was just, uh, just incredible. Where's your walk? Maybe we're, 
Maybe we'll get there one day. I was going to say, ours is not as glamorous as the Himalayas. We're walking Surrey, Gloucestershire, Worcestershire, (laughs) Yorkshire. Everyone is walking in their own areas. We just want people to get out there and walk. And some people have um, decided to dedicate 4,000 steps a day and really sort of be consistent. And some people train up for a big walk. So everyone's doing Oh, that's amazing. We want people to have achievable goals so that you feel you set yourself up for success. And that is the most important thing. A last question. You once, after, you know, the higgledy-piggledy of trying to manage menopause, went to see a menopause specialist. Now, the reason I want to bring this up is because for years we've been trying to educate GPs, nurses, the women in our community that they have access to a menopause specialist. And we want to facilitate people um, to navigate the NHS and to also know what support services are available for them. As an organization, we work lots within the NHS. And so it's really important for us that wherever people are in the country, they have access to whoever is appropriate for them. How was that experience for you? Was it helpful or less so? Because we're uh, hearing mixed messages. Uh, I would say that... <sighs> I probably pin too much on that appointment. I probably felt that I was going to walk in there, see a fairy godmother and be given something that was going to change my world. It doesn't, I think I'm learning that that thing doesn't exist yet. There's just not a magic wand. Yeah. But to be told this by a menopause expert i mean she did she said that there's stuff you can do you know for dryness and for the for the joint ache and so on but in terms of the cognitive function she was very yeah it's exercise it's eating well it's getting in the outdoors it i was being told stuff that i felt like i kind of knew um I asked her, look, can I have HRT, even a small dose of it? And she just looked at my, um, the profile of my cancer and she said categorically, no, no. Um, So, yeah, and I think, you know, with the whole Davina, um, that whole movement, you know, of, of that, documentary that went out which was absolutely brilliant and it helped so many people um it it almost made it feel worse for me without sounding self-indulgent only that it almost emphasized what I can't have um but so I don't know if I'm honest I don't know how much helped me she was a lovely woman and it was nice to sit in front of somebody for half an hour and just pour my heart out and say, please help me. Um, it helped being told by a professional that no, absolutely not. I'm not going to give you HRT. So I've, I've stopped thinking about that now. Yeah. Um, Thank you for that, mm-hmm. because I think it's a realistic experience of yours and it's really good to set expectations because I also feel by telling people to see a menopause specialist, often we then start stop thinking and think, oh, I'm going to see this specialist and and I sort everything out there and then. And I always want to say to people, it's one appointment in time and there'll be many appointments and you'll be doing lots of different things. And 
instead of thinking I'm going to pin all of my hopes onto this one appointment, it's thinking, okay, it's one at a time and I'm going to take it for what it is and I'm going to walk away with whatever information I can get. And it's not the last appointment and it won't be your first appointment. It's just mm -hmm. one yeah. of many. But then, of course, you spoke to people like Kirsty Lang, who had the same. Can you remember? She had the yeah. same um, advice from her doctors and she then decided to go on hormone replacement therapy on tamoxifen. And so it, yeah. it is a minefield out there because yeah. we can't stop compare what do other yeah. people do, yeah. but we and, must stop comparing. Yeah. And Kirsty Lang, you know, she's living her best life on it. Like she wouldn't change it. But for me, the risks are just too yeah. high. Um, the other thing as well, you know, there's all these things where you could try alternative things like acupuncture and but these things cost money as well. And we have, and they take time. And they take time. Yeah. I think I think there was something in the beauty of like HRT. It just be like I'm so envious of people that could just put a bloody patch on and do you know what I mean? Like Yeah, but you would be putting your brain lube in very soon. I'm gonna be creating a brain lube. There is, I did an Instagram live the other night with a professor who yeah. has, and it was only last week, released, she works for the University of Reading, released a study purely on chemo brain. And it absolutely verifies that chemo brain is a thing and it can, it can stay in your system for up to 25 years post-treatment, which wow. blew my mind, but also made me feel like, okay, I'm not making this up. This is this is actually a thing. And they've devised a programme, a training programme that is free to everybody, is accessible to everybody. And they have had great results from uh, breast cancer survivors and thrivers um, who have um, tried doing this. Um, it's a training. It's, it's a, on your computer that you do. You can do up to like half an hour a day. You do it over a period of two weeks. Uh, and it's supposed to actually improve brain function. And it's designed specifically for those that have been through chemo. Um, so it's worth, it's, worth a, it's worth a try. You know, I'm just going to try all these things. Yeah. And can you share that with us? Can yeah. I link it in the show notes? Absolutely. So when you think of things like, you know, they say that you're at high risk of osteoporosis, we do weight bearing exercise, right? It's what are these things that we can, little things that we can do that of course. And, and that don't have to cost anything. So I'm definitely going to try this, but I'll, I'll share the link with you. Annoyingly, you can't do it off a mobile phone. It has to be, um, it has to be on a computer, but okay. Give it a yeah, go. I'd love to hear back from you what you think, how it's helped you. But I also would love to share it with everyone else. Yeah, of you know, what was the most refreshing thing in sort of following you, following your story? I followed your inquiries, you know, all of the things you've done, your successes, your five year, I've, you know, from afar, I've celebrated with you when you celebrated your five years. But what's most highlightable for me is that we all have our own fears and worries and struggles and we mustn't compare what other people do because other people make decisions based on other criteria right and mm -hmm. we we are us and we do our own thing and sometimes it's so good to make a decision because by not making a decision and by continuously maybe inquiring should I go on HRT could I go on HRT is there anything else it's exhausting it is so and sometimes 
It's exhausting. And sometimes making up your mind, putting that to bed, even if it's say for six months or a year, because you can revisit at any time, yeah. can be like a huge weight off your shoulder. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and um, also with that, when I, I started this this um, chat with you, and you said, you know, what was the what was the worst side effect? And I said, brain fog. It also has its plus points in that I feel like the brain fog has taught me to care less about the small stuff because I don't have the capacity for it anymore yeah so when oh what was it my husband was saying to me yesterday I can't remember what it was something we something that needed doing around the house I was just like I don't know you have to deal with that I I don't have the capacity to even I can't even remember what it was but it's stuff like that but there is an element of yeah I'm not going to worry about that yeah yeah. And actually, I always think if I have two plates on my hands, the one is self-compassion and the other one is self-criticism, they need to weigh evenly. Yeah. And self-compassion will always ask you what you need right now, Helen. Yeah. And self-criticism will always say, you're not good enough. You're not good enough. You're oh, not good enough. Oh. And for most people, self-criticism yeah. is up there and it's mm. overbearing. And self-compassion is something that we have stopped remembering from an early age and we need to bring that out because you're doing amazing things and you're sharing so much positivity with millions of people and I can't wait to hear your song and I now I need to look for you in the choir I'm like oh <laughs> I need to spot Helen singing <laughs> oh my god just don't try and find my voice on there oh thank you. thanks so much for having me on it was, it's it's good to talk positively about everything yeah and it is tough and it is a it's a difficult journey isn't it for people yeah. to navigate and we can only do our best and navigate it the best we can yeah, thank you helen definitely. thank you so much i hope you feel as uplifted as i do after listening to the conversation with helen i think helen is amazing and like i said to her in the conversation all i see is this wonderful woman who's trying really hard to combat some of her most stubborn symptoms to try and find solutions to navigate her care on top of everything else and if i'm not mistaken you're probably very similar to Helen in that you have busy lives to live, in that you have lots of things to juggle, careers, family, your diagnosis, maybe continuous treatment. Maybe you're thinking, how can I sort out my menopausal symptoms? What do I need to do next? I think we share so many common experiences, even if what we choose to do is very different. It doesn't matter. We've all got decisions to make. We've all got to show up every single day. And sometimes it feels a lot and much. And in my yoga book, I've got all of my poems here that I've been collecting for the last many, many years. There is a poem I read to myself and often at the end of yoga classes that really, really helps me just to let it all be for a moment when life gets too much, when I have lots of decisions to make and I want to read it for you right now. It's called She Let Go by Sapphire Rose. And it goes like this. Without a thought or a word, she let go. She let go of fear. She let go of judgments. She let go of the confluence of opinions swarming round her head. She let go of the committee of indecision without her. She let go of all the right reasons, wholly and completely, without hesitation or worry. She just let go. She didn't ask anyone for advice. She didn't read a book on how to let go. She just let go.
she let go of all the memories that held her back. She let go of the anxiety that kept her from moving forward. She let go of the planning and all of the calculations about how to do it just right. She didn't promise to let go. She didn't journal about it. She didn't write the projected dates in her daytimer. She made no public announcement. She didn't check the weather report or read her daily horoscope. She just let go. She didn't analyze whether she should let go. She didn't call her friends to discuss the matter. She didn't utter one word. She just let go. No one was around when it happened. There was no applause or congratulations. No one thanked or praised her. Like a leaf falling from a tree, she just let go. There was no effort. There was no struggle. It wasn't good. It wasn't bad. It was what it was and it is just that. In the space of letting go, she let it all be. A smile came over her face. A light breeze blew through her hair. She Let Go by Sapphire Rose. I hope this poem reminds you that sometimes, just for a moment, we can let go and let it, let it all be. i see you on next week's episode on the podcast. Mm-hmm.